Why wouldn't I make a good point? You always make good points, Jeremy. Hey, welcome to the Highland Groupcast. I'm Jeremy. I'm Emily. And today we're going to talk about salvation. So, uh, Emily, obviously salvation is pretty easy subject to grasp. Oh, it's so, it's not complex or... Yeah, no. <laughs> I don't know that there's a whole lot that people don't know about salvation. And so mm. yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. I'm yes. excited to talk about it. Are have, you ready? I am ready. I have all the questions for you. And yeah, so... <laughs> Once I again, I feel like good. asking me questions is the worst thing. I, mm. I, this whole thing is supposed to be you answering these questions in a very <laughs> theological and a biblical way because oh you're smarter goodness. than yeah. I am. All right. Well... So salvation. Salvation. We, do you want to just jump in? Yeah. What were you going to no, say? Let's do this. Let's let's kind of recap. If, oh, if you yeah. haven't listened, mm. uh, we are in a series on the Highland Statement of Faith. Now, if you're not a member of Highland or um, uh, maybe even a Baptist church, then um, you may feel like these things aren't necessary, necessary for you to know. And, and what I would say, what I would hope uh, and what I would encourage you with is that um, these are just basic statements that m- the church has mostly believed since the church has been around. Now, there are some things that make us distinctively Baptist that have to do with um, a myriad of things, um, but most of those are in our polity, which means our, our leadership, the way we're structured, but then also um, in the way we view baptism, the way we view um, the Lord's Supper or communion. And so there are some distinctive differences there. Um, but by and large, these, um, these elements of our statement of faith, they're just, they're just the Bible. Yeah. (laughs) It's pretty much just biblical truths. And, uh, it's, it's good, a good way for members to see, you know, this is what the, not only the leadership believes, but this is what the church, my church family holds to, and it affects every aspect of our church and the way that things run and the, the reasons why we teach the things we do in our classes, the reason why we, you know, I guess, yeah, function yeah. <laughs> as a church. Yeah. And so last week, uh, we got to talk about God as Trent. Actually, we just got to talk about God, which was amazing. But one of the things that we talked about, and I think it'll be important as we um, step into salvation is the idea of God being Trinity, right? Um, one in three, three in one, one in three, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And I think it's important that we kind of discuss the Godhead and the Trinity right before we jump into salvation because we don't want to misattribute um, the role of the Son hmm. to the role of the Father or the role of the Spirit, right? So, because the Father didn't die. Um, right. and the spirit didn't die. And, and, and so there's, I think some important things that we want to, uh, recognize before we get in that. Um, and, and what we said last week was that, um, the father, and this is from JT English from the village church in, uh, Flower Mound. And what he said is that the father, 
initiates salvation on our behalf. The Son accomplishes salvation on our behalf, and the Spirit applies salvation on our behalf. No, I think that's so good, and I have some questions for you and some things that I would love to talk about today. But I figured we could start by just rereading this part of the statement of faith. Uh, on salvation, and this is on, again, hbcwaco.org. It says, the central purpose of God's revelation in scripture is to call all people into fellowship with himself. Originally created to have fellowship with God, man defied God, choosing to go his own or his independent way and was thus alienated from God and suffered the corruption of his nature, rendering him unable to please God. The fall took place at the beginning of human history and all individuals since have suffered these consequences and are thus in need of the saving grace of God. The salvation of mankind is then wholly a work of God's free grace, not the result in whole or in part of human works or goodness, and must be personally appropriated by repentance and faith. When God has begun a saving work in the heart of any person, he gives assurance in his word that he will continue performing it until the day of its full consummation. Man. There's a lot there. That's, that's is, a lot. I think from the first sentence, there's a lot there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. So, uh, you know, maybe let's break it down a little bit. So the first thing that this says is that the central purpose of God's revelation in Scripture, his, his reveal, the way that he's revealed himself in the Bible, is specifically to call all people into fellowship with himself. And so um, I love that about God, that, that his desire is that we know him, and he has revealed himself in his plan for redemption, for salvation, for for in having a relationship with us through his word which is awesome yeah and i think um uh, really one of the things in understanding salvation and in some of the more intricate aspects of it is really understanding what god has been doing from the beginning Mm. right god from the beginning has been creating a people for himself so we see in genesis one that he Uh, created man and woman in his own image, and he gave them the direction, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. He's creating in that moment a people who will love him and walk with him and worship him. Then after the fall, uh, we see that um, that is fractured, that Adam and Eve walked Mm -hmm. with God in a way that nobody since has walked with God. They walked with him in the garden. They talked with him in the garden. They got to see him there. They get to experience him there. And we, uh, and we don't get to experience him in that way on this side mm-hmm. of the fall. Um, but we see God making a way and, and what he does next is pretty crazy. He mm. goes to, um, a guy named Abraham, right? Also in Genesis. And he says, Hey, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make you a nation. Mm. I'm going to make you a nation and you're going to serve me and, and I'm going to be your God and, and you'll be my people. And then we know that Um, from there um, that a great nation is raised up out of the line of Abraham. And we find the next time uh, we see um, that people uh, in slavery to Egypt and God rescues. And he says, hey, I'm going to make you a great nation. You're going to be a nation that is centered on the one true God of the universe. And so you're going to be my people. And the rest of the Old Testament is a story of that people um, rejecting God, walking away from God and being scattered and then being gathered again by God in his grace and mercy and then rejecting God and mm-hmm. walking into idolatry and then being scattered and then being brought back in. And then in the New Testament, you see it with Jesus in salvation. He brings together a new people 
the church, right? And so from the beginning, what God has been doing is calling a people, making a people for himself. And if you read to the end of the book, right, what you see is a holy people in a holy city worshiping a holy God. And so God has always been about mm-hmm. creating a people for himself. And so that's the awesome. reason that our statement of faith starts that way is because that's what he's been doing from mm-hmm. the beginning, from creation. Yes. And he created us specifically for that purpose. Um, but just like you said, you, uh, you, you know, you called it the fall, right? And, you know, that's a Christianese phrase. And, you know, a lot of people know what that is, but a lot of people may not. And so, um, you know, if we don't have time to read it now, but if people want to read about it, they can do so. And what Genesis one through three, pretty Genesis. much. Yeah. yeah. So, so for yeah. three chapters, everything was off. <laughs> So <laughs> for three chapters, two chapters, two chapters things were great. And then things went down. Um, and, you know, Adam and Eve, specifically Adam, through his sin um, of, of taking the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and eating it specifically when God had said not to and had even warned him of the consequence. You know, he had told him that the pun- the, con- the the punishment of doing that would be death, right? right. The death would come to man. And he, he still did it, right? He chose to disobey, to rebel against God um, instead of trusting him and and following him and submitting to his lordship. But what happened as a consequence of Adam's sin? Yeah, and so I think what you see in Adam's sin and specifically the lie of the enemy, right, is um, as as Satan is tempting Eve in the garden, what he says is, did God really say Mm -hmm. that you can't eat of any tree in the garden, right? So he takes God's word and he twists it. And Eve answers rightly, no, he didn't say we can't eat of any tree. He just said we can't eat of any tree or this tree in the midst of the garden or touch it, Hmm. which he didn't say, but or touch it um, lest we die. Hmm. And then Satan just straight up lies. You will not surely die. And, Hmm. And here's the horror of Adam's sin. And here's the horror of our sin. This is. This is the thing that we struggle with, and the thing that it's the thing that uh, cost Adam and Eve communion with God. It says, "In the day that you eat of it, He knows that you will be like what? Like Him, God, like God. You will mm. be like God. And from that day on, that's what we've been trying to do. We've been trying to be our own God. So if you um, boil all sin down, and, and I guess the way we, do we need to define sin? We can define. Yeah, let's sin. do it. Um, is any rebellion against God, right? Um, and, and or taking, robbing God of glory that only belongs to Him, or putting myself in the position of God, thinking that I know best, that I do best, that mm-hmm. my opinion, that my affections, that my emotions, that they mean more than God's. Uh, and so I place myself on the uh, the throne, and I say that I am King, right? I want my kingdom to come. I mm. want my will to be done. And so I usurp God in his authority because I make a better God than God. And that's what, that's what Adam and Eve struggled with that. Oh man, I Mm. actually do know what's best for me. Uh, I actually can find hope and I can find peace and I can find joy and I can find ultimately I can find salvation outside of God. Yeah. And I think one thing that 
we, I often, you know, hear, and I think is, can be misconstrued, I guess, about sin is that it's an action and, you know, that it's something that I do. But one thing that we know from Romans, right, is that through one man, right, through Adam's actions, it says, you know, and obviously Eve was involved too, but it specifically says through Adam, Mm -hmm. right, through one man, sin entered the world. And so sin entered the DNA of the human race and it became a part of our nature. And I think that depravity, that's something that is really important to the salvation story. And I think, you know, to your point about, um, you know, God creating and calling a people to himself is that, you know, we see this throughout the Bible. We see this, this sinful nature. We see it in our own lives, the rebellious desire to be Lord of our own lives. And that's something that comes from the womb, (laughs) unfortunately. Right. And so it's not just an action that we need to be saved from. It's our, it's our nature that we need deliverance from. And so, yeah, Romans 5, 12 says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. And so um, not only has sin, that rebellious nature spread to all men and women, um, but so have its consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the penalty of sin, which is death, right? Um, the, pre- the power of sin over us that we have no ability to choose God on our own. <laughs> Um, but also the presence of sin is still there. And so God has sent Christ, right, his son to deliver us from these things. So, and we can get into that. So we've talked a little bit about sin. Um, any thoughts on that? Do I have thoughts on sin? Yeah, no, like any more kind of before we move on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think just the the nature, like the, the nature of man being corrupted. And I think you said it well, right? And we said it at the beginning of the episode, you don't, um, you're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you are a sinner. Mm-hmm. It is what you, um, it is what you do, right? You don't have to teach your children how to do it. They're really good at it. They learn how to do it on their own. Um, you don't have to, um, you don't have to practice to get good at mm-hmm. it. You're just kind of good at it. And so you see it in Ephesians too, right? That before we come to to Christ, that we are children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And so um, we're not. Uh, we're not under wrath simply because of the things that we've done. And we are born like the rest and by our nature under wrath because we are by our natures sinful. Absolutely. Um, And it doesn't mean that we're as sinful as we could be, right? right, Like, which if we were, (laughs) I mean, that's God's common grace, just keeping us from, you know, going the full lengths to which we would go. um, Right, but even that... Even that, it, I have a tendency, we mm. have a tendency to think of our sinfulness in relation to others, right? Mm, so when true. you look yeah. at me, obviously you're what you're going to say person. is like, well, I'm not as bad as a at least no, I'm, I'm not as bad as that guy. <laughs> yeah. But when you look at it in contrast to God, perfect, mm, yes, holy, righteous, just, um, and, and again, like we talked about, uh, last week, I guess it was last week, um, we talked about Job's response. We talked about Isaiah's response. Um, whenever you see God reveal himself to anyone in the scriptures, what you say, like in, uh, in Matthew or is it Luke, uh, when the angels reveal themselves to the shepherds and what you see the shepherds do, like fall down as if they were dead. 
And this is angels. This is not God. This is just angels, another creation. God God says um, to Moses, I can't reveal to you the fullness of my glory because if I do that, you'll die. (laughs) But I'll show you my veil. And, Mm -hmm. And even at just seeing the train of God's robe, Moses' face shines Mm -hmm. so brightly that people ask him to cover it up because it's so distressing. Right. And this is just the, the train of God's robe. And so when we see God in his holiness as he is, then we see ourselves in light of that. Mm. And our only good and right response, which we talked about last week, should be repentance. But as long as I'm judging myself by my neighbor, at Mm. least I'm not as bad as that guy. Absolutely. At least I don't. um, Then we're missing it. Because when you look at the God of the scriptures, he hates sin. And we have a tendency to soften it, right? Like we Mm -hmm. um, we have a tendency to make... Uh, Jesus, this just kind of real soft and, uh, you know, not, not hard on sin, not, but man, God hates sin from the beginning. He, he kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden. He, um, and he brought death mm-hmm. to them, right? Like and he it's gave them a, an assault on his character, right? Because right. the moral law, the, his law reflects who he is and everything about him. And so if we've become guilty of one part, we've been mm-hmm become guilty of the whole thing. And I know it's easy for us to think about the effects of our sin in relation to how it makes us feel or the consequences that we have to bear or even the effects that it has on the people around us. But for whatever reason, I don't, my first response is not, oh, I have absolutely assaulted the Lord. And right. we have a friend who he used to give this analogy all the time and we loved it. It's, it's like a two peasants, right? There's a peasant and you know, he slaps the other peasant and the consequences aren't going to be that heavy, but he, if he goes and slaps the King, I mean, he's going to be in huge trouble. And so I think a yeah. lot of times we think like, Oh man, like the penalty of sin is death. No matter what the sin is, it's not so much what the sin is. It's who it's against, right? And his right. holiness and his character that it's an assault on him, you know, and a right. rebellious thing against him. And I think at the at the end of the day, our tendency, um, which again, which there's a way that seems right to man, and in the end, it leads to death. Our tendency one is to judge ourselves by the standards of others, uh, but then two, we kind of put this thing on God, where well, He can just forgive, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but the reality is, because God is just, perfectly just, he can't just forgive, right? And, and even in our own view of justice, uh, we would look at a lot of that and say, well, no, that's unjust. So if I walk into a convenience store and I shoot a guy in the head and then the judge goes, oh, well, no, it's it's fine. It, it's mm-hmm. fine. Um, here's what you deserve, but I'm, I'm the judge. I'm the one who has authority, right. and so I'm not going to do that. But that's not just, Mm-mm. right? There is a penalty. Mm. Um, there is a good and right, a just penalty. And so our problem um, is, number one, that we have sinned against a perfect, holy, righteous, and just God. And that God, because he is perfectly just, he cannot just forgive. He cannot just overlook. He cannot just mm. gloss through our sin like it has to be dealt with. And the beauty of the scriptures is that God will absolutely deal with it in one of two ways, right? And so today we're talking about salvation, but we know that on the other side of salvation that God will ultimately and rightly and justly punish all sin. (coughs) Excuse me. And he does that in one of two ways, right? Either by separation from him forever or 
through salvation yeah. and his son on the cross. Which is awesome. And so, um, you know, one of the things that, you know, scripture repeats over and over again, like you just said in Ephesians 2, he says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. It's not just that we were, you know, drowning and struggling, you know, trying to do well. It's like, no, we were totally dead. There's nothing that we could do to save ourselves. Um, and, you know, in Isaiah 64, 6, he writes that all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. And, and again, this is kind of crass, but literally it's menstrual rags in the original Hebrew. Sorry if that's you, you shocking did, to you, you did, people. You went all the way there. I you did. went all the way to menstrual rags. That's good. I, I know. I hope that's okay. You can edit that out if you want to. But anyways, it's pretty I'm nasty. But this, that's how God, that's how, that's the quality of our righteousness on our own. And so it kind of shows just how desperately we need the grace of God. And so, well, um, I think it's important also to understand that the reason that those things are so filthy before God mm. is that again, um, the whole point is God is creating a people for himself who will worship in him and who will love him. And so I think you'll find all kinds of unbelievers who are more, um, giving than you, they give far more money. They're probably nicer than I am. I mean, mm. I am for sure. Um, they are probably, you know, they're, they're more altruistic. They're, they're kind, they're compassionate They're And so it doesn't seem that those qualities are necessarily the things that give us right standing. What gives us right standing, we know, as we'll begin to talk about a little more is Jesus. But at the end of the day, the reason that those things are done becomes incredibly important. They're not done to worship and honor the Lord or to point others to him. They're done at the end of the day for, and as much as we want to say that it's not about me, it's not about what I've done, but when I do it, I sure do feel good. Mm. And so because when I give, it feels good, I want to do it more and more and it helps people, right? But that's still all about mm. me. That's a, that's a selfish altruism. Now, nobody in culture is going to look at that and go, that's selfish. And I'm not going to look at someone and go, man, you're really selfish. But at the end of the day, I do it because it makes me feel good. And if it didn't, I wouldn't do it. Mm. Right. Uh, or if I wasn't compelled for some reason to, to have to do it, then I, then I wouldn't do it. But because of, uh, because of that, because all of those things are to bring me glory or to make me feel good or to, that's, that's idolatry or right? that's, that's the height of pride. That is idolatry. And so those things are absolutely filthy before God, as in yeah. 64, four would say. And, and one thing that, you know, is just unique to the Christian faith as opposed to others is that our works, right. Those, those righteous works that we you do, um, it, there's nothing that we can do can give us right standing before God can make us just before him. Right. And so this is why we desperately needed Christ what Are we say? to justification, mm-hmm. sanctification, oh, and glorification we already? We can be. We, <laughs> we can't be, but we, we don't right have to. We're jumping. Okay, well, with the statement of faith, is just our need for the saving grace of God, right? That we are um, in desperate need for him. And so that the salvation of mankind is just a total whole work of God's free grace. It's not yeah. by our works. Um, it's, it's strictly based on what God did for us through Christ. Right. Absolutely. So outside of Jesus, outside of God initiating those things, there is no salvation for us. And, and I'll say like, you can get to some controversy here Mm -hmm. about uh, what people believe about salvation, whether you chose God or God chose you. But at the end of the day, the scriptures are pretty clear that God calls us. He calls, he calls us and we're responding to that Mm -hmm. call. So without, uh, without the the call of God, that grace of God on our life, the Holy Spirit to call us into relationship with him. 
none of us would be in relationship with him, right? Because the scriptures are clear that we uh, cannot please God. Uh, we don't have the ability to do it. That's Romans 8. Um, but we not only can we not do it, we don't want to. Um, the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile towards God. The cross of Christ is foolishness to those who are perishing. Outside of Christ, we are at enmity. We are enemies of God, and we enjoy our rebellion. Uh, we don't want God. We don't search for God. We're not looking for him. We're not finding that, But right? Um, but then God, in his grace, in his mercy, he initiates, mm-hmm. right? And he, he reaches down. Where, he did that, how? Through his son, right? That right. Is, in John 1, it says that the word became flesh. We talked about this and dwelt among us. And we'll talk about Jesus next week. So this is a little plug right. for that podcast. Um, uh, but through the perfect, sinless life of Jesus, through his death, he died the penalty that, um, he died the, the wage, I guess that was the, what I had earned through my works, right? He died the death that I deserved. And then he rose from the dead, proving that he had, um, a, he, he was sinless, right? Mm -hmm. That he, he did not deserve death, but it also proved that he had the power over death, um, to, to bring life, which is awesome. And so through that, God made a way for us to be freed from his wrath and free from the penalty of sin um, and from its presence and power, which is awesome. But 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. And I love that exchange of natures, right? So this this awesome transfer happens anytime that a person places his or her faith solely on the work of Christ and not on my own works, right? Not on my own filthy wrath. that I present before God, but on the righteous works of Christ. And when I do that, there's just this beautiful transition, this transfer that happens. And so, um, yeah, I love that. I get excited. Yeah. The, the glorious exchange, right? Yes. Um, and I think the, the beauty of that, especially in, in a lot of the things that we've just been talking about, uh, is when we understand that, when we understand that what Christ has done for us um, and not what we have done, uh, that Christ's work, not our work, is what justifies us before God, is what saves us, is what gives us right standing before God. Then it frees us up. It really does free us up to love other people. Because if I feel like it's my performance that has earned me right standing before God, then I'm going to be stuck in that performance over and over and over, feeling like I have to perform mm-hmm. for him. Because I think a lot of us, we view God as we view our parents or we view our fathers or we view our moms. And, and what we see so often is that we do something stupid and they're just disappointed with mm-hmm. us and, and we feel the weight of that. And so then what do we do? Well, we try, Oh, I'm going to be better. I'm going to be yeah. better and I'm going to do better. Um, and we're doing everything we can to try and please them. Now that's not to say that we can't please the heart of God. And it doesn't mean that we can't grieve the heart of God, but at the end of the day, our state before God in Christ, it does not change. Mm-hmm. If you are in Christ listening to this podcast or anybody who's not listening to this podcast, if they are in Christ, they are secure. And it's not a matter of their behavior that gains them right standing, but because Christ is who he is and because he's done what he's done and because he vindicated himself, he proved that he was the son of God when he rose from the dead, defeating sin and death, um, then we can know and be secure in the fact that Man, when God looks on me in the moment of my deepest shame, Mm. in the moment of my out-and-out rebellion, if I'm in Christ, what he sees is holy, righteous, perfect, justified, mine, Mm. right? And And there's nothing we can do to change that. 
nothing. And so, you know, we don't have to be worried that God has washed our hands of us. If we're in Christ, we cannot run too far. Nothing can separate us, neither height, nor depth, Mm. nor um, spirits, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. And, you know, in this statement of faith, it talks about how, um, let me see if I can find it here it is, uh, that it must be personally appropriated by repentance. And, um, that word appropriate, I mean, it seems like a big word by repentance and faith. Right. And so first John one nine says, you know, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there's that confession, that acknowledgement towards to God about my sinful nature and the fact that I do deserve his wrath. Right. right. But then there's that faith, um, in Romans 10, nine and 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved for with the heart one believes and is justified. There's that word we'll talk about. (laughs) And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And so, um, it's, this is a free gift of God, but it has to be a personal, personally appropriated. Right. 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 And, and so I think the scriptures, um, and and you see this a lot in the Bible belt, uh, where people are like, Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Mm -hmm. Their life doesn't reflect it. There's zero fruit. And like, well, what makes you a Christian? Well, I prayed a prayer when I was four. And I get that. I understand mm-hmm. that. There's a there's a thing that we did in the church where it was just, I don't even know how to best describe it, but it's the weirdest thing. But it's because I walk down an aisle and I pray to prayer. It doesn't matter that I've lived like a pagan for the rest of my life. What matters is I prayed the prayer there when I was four years old. I would say that regardless of any prayer that you prayed, that was not personally appropriated. The scriptures know nothing of a believer who has not submitted their life to Christ. And so when we talk about um, uh, repentance and faith, there is a turning away from sin. It doesn't mean that I don't sin anymore, but it does mean that my relationship with sin is different now. My goal, my hope, my prayer is always that I see sin as God sees it, and I Mm -hmm. hate it as he hates it. And when I find myself in the midst of it, what I want to do is confess it to say, this is sin. This is against, this is a rebellion against you. This is a slap or me spitting your grace, your mercy and this and the glorious salvation that you have offered to me in your face. And so I admit that I have rebelled and then I turn away from that sin. I say, I don't want my sin. I want you. Mm. Uh, and I submit again, my life to Christ. And so I think that personal appropriation really is a, I, I, I cannot know Jesus as Savior if I do not know Jesus as Lord. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, Absolutely. It, and some people may, may find that provocative, and that's okay. We can have a discussion from the Scriptures about how you believe that you can um, know Jesus as Savior and not submit to anything that He's called you mm-hmm. to. Um, but I would say the Scriptures would say that that person is no believer at all. There's no belief there. There's no faith. There's no repentance. Uh, you may say, you may, you may mentally assent to some things, um, but what God says is that he is going to change our hearts, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. And, and, and we see that in sanctification. And this is, yeah, what I was going to ask you about, because at the end of the statement of faith, he talk, it says, when God has begun a saving work in, in the heart of any person, he gives assurance in his word that he will continue performing it until the day of its full consummation. And so, you know, when a person, you know, puts their faith in Christ and that moment of justification happens, and, and once a person is justified, 
satisfied, it's done. That's not something that will ever change. We, and we could talk about that another time, that assurance of salvation, that eternal security that's there for someone that's in Christ. Um, but there is a process, right? Um, between that day and the day that either Christ returns or takes me home to be with him, when I am glorified with him, when I, you know, I am sinless and blameless, when that presence of sin, the power of sin is fully removed from my life. But yeah. the moment when, um, you know, God saved me, there was still present, there's still sin present in me. Right. Yeah. And yeah, so that process Romans, of Romans five, six and seven. Exactly. Right. So right. of, of slowly submitting myself more and more to his Lordship, that, that is uh, progressive, but it is inevitable, right. For someone right. who belongs to Jesus. And so talk a little bit about that. Yeah. I, th- I think in some ways, the way you des- see it described, Paul, Paul describes it, uh, I can't remember where it is, but he describes it in one place as those who are being saved. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so there's a very real reality that what Christ has accomplished, he has already accomplished. Right. And so you have been saved. And then there's a very real sense in which there is still sin clinging close at hand. We see it in Romans seven. I know the good that I ought to do, but I do the very thing that I hate. A wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Um, we um, turn away from our sin and 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 any um, anything. Any, well, I can't remember where I'm going with that. But um, so the idea is this: that we were saved, we were justified before God, and that's vertical, and that's 100, percent and that's and always, it. and that's permanent, and it does not change. But our sanctification is progressive, right? Absolutely. The promise that where Jesus found us, he will not leave us. So first Thessalonians four, three, this is the will of God for you, your sanctification, mm-hmm. that he is now conforming us. And this is what the scriptures would say, conforming us into the image of his firstborn son, right? Mm-hmm. And so we are made co-heirs with him, but we're also being made to be like him. We are being conformed into his image and he will uh, complete the good work that he started in us on the day of Christ Jesus. Therefore, therefore, what Romans 8 would say, we can believe that God will work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And that's not a kitschy cliche that we use when someone's struggling. That's a promise that we cling to that what we look like today, we will not look like tomorrow. And what we look like tomorrow, we won't look like a week from now. And what we look like a week from now, we won't look like a year from now or a month from now and Mm. a month from now, a year from now. And and so in faith in Jesus and an indwelling of the Holy Spirit means that we necessarily change. Now, our justification does not change. We are not further justified by how much we read the mm. scriptures. We are not further justified by how much we pray. We are not further justified um, by how many old ladies we help across the street. Mm. We're not further justified by how much we uh, give um, to the church. We're not further justified by um, by the number of times we go to a home group in a month. But God uses every single one of those things to conform us into the image of his son. And so mm-hmm. we, um, we are conformed into the image of Jesus because we pursue God mm-hmm. in his word. We're conformed to the image of Jesus as we labor in prayer, as we build that relationship. And, and we are, we'll, conf- talk, yeah. and we'll talk about this in a few weeks, but the Holy Spirit has a big 
part of this, right? Where oh, the spirit does much more than you do. <laughs> he for does sure. all of it. Well, like Ezekiel 36 is like my life passage. And I talk about it all the time, but it talks about how, where God promises, he says, I will give you a new heart and I will put my Holy spirit within you and he will cause you to walk mm-hmm. in my ways. And so, mm-hmm. and that's something that we'll talk about in a few weeks, but, um, his role in conforming us into the image of Christ to, he, he not only causes us to obey, but he transforms our desires. He changes our motivations and our intentions and, um, to be more and more conformed with the Lord, right. um, as we're willingly submitting ourselves to him. Um, right. Yeah, so, and that's us, a part of the sanctification where obedience to the law is less and less of a, um, a, a duty and more and more of just who we are. Yeah. Right? It's, it's really weird that David describes the, the law, the way he describes mm-hmm. the law. Like your, your it. law is like, <laughs> it's like what on my lips. How? Like, what yeah. does that mean? Mm. And, and I think it's, um, again, it's not, I'm so good. Um, and again, if we point back to what we were talking to earlier, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good, right? He mm. came to make dead people alive. Mm. And you look at the way that David loves the law. It seems that his relationship with God's law is indicative of his relationship with God. That I know that these statutes, these um, these laws, these things that you tell me, they are for my good. And as I participate in these things, I get the thing that I need and desire the most. And that's mm-hmm. you. I get more of you as I pursue these things. And so it's not God loves me more, but it is I get more of God. Mm-hmm. And so I want to do, um, if you've ever read John Owen's Mortification of Sin, uh, he brings out the idea that, that we want to put sin to death. We mm-hmm. want to kill it. Um, but then there's this other idea of vivification, right? Mm. And so I want to pursue those things that um, stir my affections for Jesus. And I want to put to death and I want to disregard those things that rob me of my affections mm. for Jesus. And so, man, if something causes me and stirs me towards worship, then I want to, I want to chase that. Mm-hmm. But if something uh, like binge watching, uh, I don't know, Married at First Sight on Netflix... <laughs> Uh, causes me to yeah. to not really think about Jesus much. It causes mm-hmm. me to then then I don't want to do that. Right, right. And this is the process of salvation from the power of sin, right, right. over me. Um, you know, we, I have that sinful nature from the womb because of Adam, right. And it was we're all inherited. We've all inherited that, right. And so that's sanctification. Is that that is just a process from the moment that we submit our lives to Christ and and place our faith in His work to the moment that Christ returns or I go to be with him. Um, he is, he is saving me from sin's power. And so the final one is glorification, right? Mm -hmm. And that's that moment when we are, um, returned, I guess you could say restored and, and, and and put back in our place of being blameless and sinless before him and, and, and we'll be hidden in Christ. Right. Um, one of my favorite passages from first Thessalonians five, it says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. And that's the, the end goal, right? That, that God has for his people. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, talk to us a little bit about glorification. Yeah. And so the scriptures would tell us 
and you can look it up, give them the reference, you, you'll find it, um, that we are being transformed from one degree mm-hmm. of glory to the next. That's 2 Corinthians 3 something, because I just read Second that recently. 2 Corinthians <laughs> 3 something, transformed from one degree of glory to the next. Mm-hmm. And I think the idea of that glorification, right, um, that we see in Romans 8, that those whom he foreknew, he predestined, those whom he predestined, he called, those whom he called, he justified, and those whom he justified, he will glorify. And so you think about that glorifying, we really look at it uh, in Jesus in the resurrection, right? It's, it's kind of that promise of resurrection. And we see that Jesus is given a resurrection body. Uh, and, and so what we look forward to, and this is the beauty, is that there is coming a day when we will not wrestle with sin the way that we wrestle now, that we will not struggle, we will not be sick, we will not, right? He will wipe away every tear from every eye. And in that moment, we'll be raised to a new life, to live in the new heavens and the new earth, and given new bodies, and um, and so again, I, I you know I think that my glorified body will look a lot like the body I have now. I just won't wrestle with sin the mm. way I wrestle. Not like my Absolutely. my joints won't hurt. I won't wake up after not working out one day mm-hmm. and have like a shoulder injury from yeah. sleeping. It's like sin won't even it won't even be there. It's not even right. a thing. That, you know, and then I think about, oh man, I wonder what my personality will be like sinless. You know, I think about things a lot like, you know, of like, oh, and I long for that. And I think that's something that we can all long for as believers is that final completion of our salvation where we don't even have the presence of sin in our life anymore. And just what a beautiful thing that God is working out for us. Yeah. I love the way Sally Lloyd-Jones puts it in the Jesus storybook Bible. Every story whispers his name. Uh, But what she says is, is he is making all of the bad things become untrue, mm. right? Uh, and, and I think what the scriptures really point to is that God is redeeming the world to himself, right? Um, it is all crying out in the pains of childbirth. It is crying out for redemption and the promise in the scriptures is that he is bringing that. And one day, ultimately, he's going to bring that to all of those that he calls his children, right? All of his adoptive children. And if we could have spent um, six weeks on just what it means to be adopted by God, but (laughs) there's that. I just drop it in at the very end of the podcast (laughs) that not only does he save us, but he adopts us Mm -hmm. as his own. And I, man, I feel like I could figure out a way to forgive somebody who has harmed, injured, or even murdered one of my children it would take a minute, mm. but I could figure out a way to forgive that. But the reality that God doesn't just forgive those who have cost him the life of his son, but he <laughs> adopts them into his family mm. and yeah. calls them his children should overwhelm every single mm-hmm. one of us, but we don't have time to get much more into it. Um, but he is glorifying. He will glorify and he will ultimately give us new glorified bodies that don't struggle and wrestle with sin, that don't struggle and wrestle with the effects of the fall because all of those bad things have become untrue in Christ. So good. I love it. So next week, we're going to talk about Jesus. Jesus. Right? That's the right. Son. The, the, son. the, tr- That's the right. second person of the Trinity. <laughs> That's right. The incarnate son. That's right. Okay. Well, uh, any final thoughts there, no, Ams? I don't think so. I think, I think we're good. You are intimidatingly smart, but I love having <laughs> conversations with you. This is so fun. I love having conversations with you. Thank y'all for listening. All right. Well, I'm Jeremy. I'm Emily. And we'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to the Highland Groupcast. 
Groupcast is a production of Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. For more information about Highland, visit us online at hbcwaco.org.